This is Aim High, the alumni podcast of Cranberry Kingswood, produced by University FM and co-hosted by Robert Lee and Kadir Mohammed. In this season, you'll hear from both alumni and faculty, people making an impact all around the world and linking it back to their time at Cranberry, a special place and community that leaves us aiming high wherever we go. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Aim High podcast, Cranber Kingswood's podcast. With me today is Jason Edelston, class of 1995. He is currently the owner of Ray's Ice Cream Al Royal Oak, and he is also the VP of Operations at Sterling Oil. A lot to get into, and Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Robert, for having me. Very nice to connect with a fellow Cranber grad and tell a little bit of what I've been up to since graduating Cranbrook High School. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's let's start with Cranbrook. All right. You're a lifer, right? That's correct. Thinking back, what, what memories come up to the front of your mind? Honestly, the first memory that pops up in my mind when it comes to Cranbrook is my senior year winning a lacrosse state championship with some of my very best friends from high school as well as middle and elementary school. It was really the culmination of a lot of the sports that I played throughout my time at Cranbrook and winning on such a stage like that when we had tried before and failed just felt like a great way to, to send off. Outside of, of that, from the sports standpoint, really Cranbrook challenged me, pushed me, really helped me develop in the person I was. And getting into college really prepared me better than most of my friends in college for the experiences and the challenges that I would meet there. And who are some of the people that you really looked up to while you at Cranbrook or that really you know, were great mentors to you? Sure. A lot to say. I'll start with John Winter. From a dean perspective, really cared about his students, was really there to help out in any way he could. Del Walden, father figure, kind of in a sporting type arena with a lot of the coaches I have throughout, kind of cycling in and out after a year or two years outside of those individuals. Mr. Linder in English. English was never one of my very best subjects, not something I really enjoyed at all. But with my parents and Mr. Linder really pushed me to get as much out of me as possible. And I really appreciated the extra time that he spent with me. And tell me about kind of your family relationship with Cranberry because your brother went there. How did you go to Cranberry in the first place? My father was born and raised in Birmingham, England, came to the United States in 1975 met my mother in Pittsburgh. They settled in Detroit area and they wanted to provide their sons with the best academic background and knowledge that they could. They found Cranbrook through looking at a number of different schools and both installed myself, my brother in kindergarten through 12th grade and really pushed me to be able to excel as much as possible in the academic space to really be able to get into any kind of school I wanted to go to with my father being an entrepreneur and my mother being an entrepreneur, they really looked like education is the backbone for the future success for my brother and I. And they thought Cranbrook, through all their research, was the academic institution within the Bloomfield Metro Detroit area would help us succeed as much as possible in life. Okay. So you mentioned both your parents having this entrepreneurial mindset, spirits. How did they go about starting their first business? Sure. My father had a choice of either Detroit or Atlanta to come to from England, chose Detroit, a company that he worked for after about a year went under. He then, with the smartest guy at that company, decided to start his own business, barring at the time in 76 or 77, 
$10,000 from his in-laws to start that business. And just before the business started, the individual he was partnering with unfortunately died. And my father really spent as much time and effort really to grow that business to the point where he asked me back in 2006 to move back from New York to kind of take things over. My mother owned and operated a flower shop. She ended up buying the other per- her person out to kind of do it on her own. But she saw the actual flower shop business as a lot of man hours, a lot of work, and the upside just wasn't there and decided to sell that business off and partner up with my father. The skill sets between the two of them meshed very well. My dad was the sales individual. He had the foresight and the knowledge within the industry. My mom was more detailed-oriented. She ran the human resources, ran the books, and kind of with those skill sets together, really made the business succeed. My father was always very ambitious and wanted to grow the business this way or that way, but my mom was very conservative and always would ground him and only allow certain aspects to grow. And I think because of that, our business is still around to this day. Because if my father had done everything he wanted to do, a lot of those things would have been not successful. And because of my mother's conservative nature of organically growing the company and not taking much debt on, it's able to prosper us to this day. Did you always plan on entering the family business? I think a part of me always thought I'd enter the family business. Most dinners at the dinner table, family business was always talked about. Father would talk about the day with my mother about what went on. So through osmosis, I learned a lot about what was going on. My parents never really wanted me entering the business right out of high school, right out of college. They wanted me to go work for other different organizations to learn about how things worked, how things were made, different management styles, so that if I did come back in the business, then I would have a lot of value added. And just instead of being you know, the boss's kid, and not having the same respect from the rest of the employees at the organization. Yeah, okay, so you mentioned like boss's kid, and that's a relationship. Was it ever uh, difficult working in a family business setting? Working with the other employees, I don't think was ever very difficult. Working with my family at times can be very difficult. I think whether it be a company, a boardroom, an organization, you have a lot of A-type personalities sometimes in a room, and you're not always going to agree. And we've always enacted a policy where we have three votes equally amongst myself, my father, my mother, and whatever, whether it's two to one or three to one, that's the direction we go in. And I don't always agree. Trying to change initially when I joined the business, the styles of how, for instance, my father communicated with employees by sending faxes to them, I thought was old and antiquated and something that needed to be changed. But quickly, I realized that when you run a company, You have to work based upon what the skills and strengths and weaknesses are of your employees or the other individuals in the organization on the same level. And going about trying to change how people work and do business sometimes can be very counterproductive to the whole. To this day, I I think we work very well together, but we still don't always agree. And now my parents in their mid-late 70s are not as involved in much day-to-day business, but based upon their years of experience, I really use them more as kind of consultants to really run by what projects or what problems are going on, how I best would handle it, and get some of their insight about what they would do differently or what they think. Yeah. Was there ever a a difference between kind of personal family life and business life, or was it always mixed? One of my father's favorite lines is in a social situation outside of work is, I don't mean to speak business, but they're that gray line that exists between a family-run business and social life of that family that is always there. I expected any given moment that my parents will bring up business, and I think they expected any given moment that I'll bring up business. I think my wife 
in the time we've been together now, five to six years, it took her a couple of years to realize how that dynamic works because her father, while he ran and operated his own business, really kept it separate from the family of what went on. My wife kind of sees and realizes that I'm on call 24-7 and that at any given moment, I have to drop what's ever going on to do business. The other night, I was feeding our four-month-old baby, and I got a call from one of my kids at the store basically saying, hey, we're crazy swamped. I told my wife, hey, I apologize. You need to take over feeding. And I got to the store seven minutes later and was there for the next two hours working alongside my other employees. When you run business to your employees, is the organization like a family? Do you ever use that term? You know how, how some, in some companies I'll say, okay, like everyone here is a family. At the different businesses that my family owns and operates, we try to treat all the, our employees like family. If they have issues outside the workplace and need a lawyer or need a doctor or need someone to talk to, we try to always be there. I think in the environment that we exist in now is that's part of the perks associated with working for us. But the same standpoint, not every employee is going to buy into that. So I try to, you know, based upon my years of playing sports, I really try to operate more of it's also a team environment is that we need to work together to achieve the best results because if we work as a team and we get things done and the company is successful, then at the end of the day, everyone's going to be rewarded accordingly. Mm, That team mentality, did that kind of start at Cranbrook, do you think? I think it started maybe Brookside. So we're talking elementary school. I mean, I think it really started playing sports. You know, my father didn't really know too many American sports, you know, really knew soccer well. So I played a lot of high-level soccer when I was growing up. And I think that team mentality in soccer really prepared me for a lot of things in my life. I've even realized now in owning and operating Rays for the last seven, eight months, that the employees that I feel that work best here are employees that play sports because they're, they've already been in a team environment. They're not fighting for a customer here or there in the parlor that they think might get better tips. They realize if they work well together in a harmonious team atmosphere that everyone's going to be rewarded at the end of the day and things will go more smoothly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the place here. So just so other people have context, you know, could you kind of describe what Ray's Ice Cream is? Sure. So Ray's Ice Cream was originally started in 1958 as an old school ice cream parlor by the Stevens family. Think of like a slice of Americana. You come into the parlor, you have an ice cream cone or an ice cream in a bowl. You could have a sundae, a milkshake, a malt, a banana split, or even a cream puff. It's like kind of stepping back in time to the counter and stools that are about 100 years old and the scoopers who are all high school and college kids all have a smile on their face and a little bit of charm and trying to make sure everyone has a great five to 20 minutes outside of their day where they're getting a special treat and really they're enjoying themselves. That's really what the parlor aspect is. Outside of the parlor for Ray's, we also have a wholesale business in which the ice cream that we're making in-house about 100 gallons a day, five days a week during the winter and fall time, and about 200 gallons a week, six days a week during the spring and summer. We're also selling into country clubs, grocery stores, restaurants, and dessert places. And when my wife and I bought the business in July 2022, it had been in the third generation now for the same family since 1958. There was a lot of issues that had been going on, some construction and some COVID. But, you know, we kind of saw that the books were a little bit of a mess and like the passion itself didn't seem to be there. And the family was looking for kind of a younger family to come in and purchase it and kind of install that 
passion in the business and really engage within the community because Ray's Ice Cream is a community staple here in the Royal Oak Metro Detroit area. It's always winning best ice cream shops year over year from different publications across this Michigan Metro Detroit area. When your wife kind of came about this opportunity, why did you choose to do this instead of something else? When I look at my other family's businesses in the petroleum and chemical field, I wonder about what the longevity is. If you turn on the TV now for a sporting event, you see a car commercial, it's about the electrification of the automotive industry. A lot of what we do in my other family's businesses is we make petroleum products that test and certify combustion-based engines. I was worried what the longevity of that business is. I started my own real estate companies when I moved back in 2006, when I saw the downturn in the economy in 08 and 2010, and bought up a lot of number of homes in the Hamtramck and Highland Park area that I fixed up and now rent out. When I saw the ice cream business, you know, potentially available, you know, as a little boy, I think I always had a dream of owning an ice cream business. I almost opened a frozen yogurt shop about eight years ago in Birmingham, but it just wasn't the right time and I didn't have the right partners at that time to do that. One of the parts that's big for my family's business outside the fuel aspect is we make chemical products, non-toxic type chemical products, but they're like wing de-icers for the airline industry. We also toll from a regional distribution's runway de-icers. That business is always going to be there. That business is pretty strong. We're very well respected at DTW, at Cleveland Airport, and a lot of the other smaller airports around, as well as the Fortune 100 companies who have those contracts with those airlines. I looked at the ice cream business as a further diversification of what I do for a living. And with the seasonality of the ice cream business and the seasonality of the de-icer business, I thought they would really be a good match. And additionally, in getting married in October of 2021 and being married, and now I have a daughter who's almost five months old, I was really looking at the future of my family. And what is that future? And I looked at this business as could be my family's business. And that's something that my wife and her strengths in sales and social media could rely on the business. And that my daughter now, who's five months and 11 years, 12 years, she could be working at this business, really learning about attributes of working in a small family business and understanding what it takes to succeed from a work ethic. And I thought this would be a really great opportunity to not only keep this in the community, but keep this in my family and diversify what it is I do for a living. Was there any moments from when you started owning a business to now that you you kind of thought like, oh, hey, maybe I'm a little over my head. I mean, this is a totally new area. And how did you overcome it? I've had those moments ever since July 5th at five o'clock on 2022 when I purchased Ray's ice cream. The heavy lifting that I've had to do to turn around this business, the amount of hours, seven days a week, 12, 15 hours a day that I worked here last summer and continue to work here. I did not realize or expect that I would have to do as much work to this business. But at the same time, I also didn't expect to have as much pleasure and good times working in this business. Everyone comes in here with a smile, looking to have a good time. And while I feel like I've exceeded kind of the bandwidth of what I'm able to do on a day-to-day basis, I feel like how all of this will pay off in the short term and the long term is worth the hard work that I'm doing right now for the foreseeable future. So on on a day-to-day basis, what drives you? What motivates you? Great question. Now, you know, I wake up first thing in the morning. I usually spend about half an hour with my daughter and being a father now and being the caretaker for my family's business and having a a new business that I'm responsible for. 
I think the challenges of the day really kind of get me going. I never know what each day is going to hold. And the challenges that exist and the problems and the opportunities really is what drives me. You know, my family's businesses, some of my employees call me head firefighter because if there's ever a problem, I'm the first call and we usually figure out what that problem is. We figure out how to solve it and we continuously move forward. The amount of knowledge that I'm gaining on a day-to-day basis just exceeds of what I thought would occur. There are so many different aspects of the raise business, whether it's packaging, whether it's sales, whether it's product placement that are so new to me that are very exciting that I get to learn a tremendous amount about. At the same time, in my family's business, when it comes to trucking, when it comes to chemicals, when it comes to petroleum products, pumps, meters, other different equipment, there's not a day that goes by there that I'm not learning something new too. So I, I really enjoy the amount of knowledge that I'm consistently absorbing on a day-to-day basis that helps me in kind of running my businesses and helps me make the proper decisions to make sure those businesses are being run accordingly. Where, where do you think this growth mindset came from? Because you know, every day there's something new for you, but you're, you're excited by it. You welcome it. You know, I, a lot of this, and obviously we're on a Cranbrook podcast here. I mean, I really look back to a lot of my experiences as a lifer at Cranbrook that really prepared me for what I'm doing in my life now. I think at Cranbrook, I was always continuously challenged. I went to Wharton undergrad at University of Pennsylvania and Ivy League school, and I feel like I was challenged more in my middle school and high school upbringing in Cranbrook than I was in college. And I think that those challenges that I had on a day-to-day basis really prepared me for what I'm doing now. And when I'm able to succeed in those challenges in the business world I'm doing now, really feel similar to the sporting world in my elementary, middle school, high school, and college years and succeeding in those sports and winning. Like, obviously, when it comes to the business world, winning is very subjective. But I feel like when you're taking something and you're expanding upon it and you're getting a lot of positive feedback from employees, from customers in the community, then I think you you realize that you are winning and you are doing something very successful. Mm. You know, some people probably think, hey, these are two totally different industries and there's probably not much not much similar between them, but I assume there's probably some similarities. So what to you, like what are the some of the similarities when you run a business, you know, raise ice cream versus sterling oil? Sure. So both are manufacturing based businesses. Both obviously from an operating standpoint are somewhat similar. But I think really that's where things think everything else is really different. But the way I go about running the business is similar. If I'm looking to do a project, I'm not looking to get one bid and do that. I'm looking to get you know multiple bids from multiple different contractors to really make sure that the money that I'm investing within the business that I'm spending is being properly spent. And I think what I've learned a lot about the raise business is that people, especially non-perishable vendors, are really taking advantage of the business. And I wanted to bring my own team of people on that I could depend upon and would realize that, you know, this is a community-based business and that if you're working with us as a vendor or a contractor or a supplier, then you need to understand that, like, we're here for the community. We really need your help in making sure that if you want to be part of that, you need to give us the honest best price for something. At the Sterling Companies, employees are entirely different than Ray's employees. And that's been an interesting aspect is the relation I have to employees at Sterling versus Ray's. And that's taken some adjustment time frame. 
because I think that, you know, Ray's outside of my two full-time employees, it's everyone's first job. And with that, you know, the positivity that I need to bring for these employees, and even if they make a mistake and make the same mistake repeatedly, it's really instilling upon them positive reinforcement to really make sure that next time they're doing things properly. And it's not where maybe my Sterling employees, maybe they work best on being told exact constructive criticism a lot of the time because the positive aspect, you know, goes over their head. So it, it's really a trial by error to understand really what works and really what doesn't work. So I know with Ray's, you have kept the same employees when you took over. What was that decision process like? And generally, how do you go about building a good team? So initially, yes, we kept all the Ray's employees on board because we wanted consistency where we could get it. And taking over July 5th and the, probably the busiest time of the year, we wanted to make sure that the employees who had been here weeks, months, and years that a lot of the knowledge and know-how was kept within the organization. But like any company organization, when there is change, people are automatically going to leave. And with a business like Ray's, and it's a lot of individuals who work in the parlor, it's their first job, they're going to be going to college. They're going to be playing sports in high school and not have the time. Additionally, one of the things when we took over the business that's tough, especially in this market, is the labor market. And when looking at the due diligence, looking at the books, the labor that we were paying in front was way too much percentage of costs. And when a lot of the different so-called managers, because of a certain age they are in the front, started asking for more money, there was a real honest conversation being like, look, you know, you guys are already getting paid a lot of money. You're also getting tips. I'm also going to implement credit card tips, something they never had here. And the shift in cash to credit card probably five years ago was two-thirds to 75% cash. And now it's two-thirds of 75% credit cards. So I really thought the employees were getting a disservice where they should be getting more tips than they were getting. So obviously, we've had some turnover. And when I brought in other people, it's really understanding to make sure they believe in the principles that are involved, that they want to work in a team atmosphere, that they want to be able to be open to learning different things, that they have to have some good math skills and be good in school. And the full-time people here, I think it's really understanding why do they come to work here in the first place? What is it that they're looking for in the future? And, you know, basically taking some responsibilities off their plate because maybe it didn't align with their skill sets and knowledge base. Adding some additional responsibilities on things they may want to do or adding some responsibilities on things that weren't getting done that need to get done. So really a combination of all those factors. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned principles. You know, I'm, I'm curious how you define maybe like the values of race. It's a great question. Rays is a staple in the community since 1958. A lot of our customers have been coming here 50 to 60 years. I hired someone this summer, and that individual on their second shift showed up under the influence of something. And it was a question right then and there was this hadn't happened yet. Do we take a hard zero tolerance line or do we give a second chance? In my Sterling businesses, I've had a lot of success in hiring people that we've given second chances to who maybe something happened to them in their, in their work life and things of that nature. And by giving them a second chance, we really got them to buy into the Sterling ethics and the Sterling culture. But here at Ray's, my, my wife and I took a hard look at that and we realized, you know what? We have to have a zero tolerance policy. Because if we don't and we have someone who comes in on the influence and then I'm not here and maybe another shift they do too, then all of a sudden there could be a perception within the community that the new owners are hiring people that don't fit the culture and the values that Rays has had since 1958. And it's important to keep that continuous that we are a community staple and we're expected to be 
not only just part of the community, but exemplify what the community stands for. And I need to have employees that realize that's the case. When they're at work, they have to hold themselves to a high standard. If they're not doing that, then this isn't the proper place for them to work. Mm-hmm. One question I have to ask you is what's your favorite flavor? So my favorite flavor is a seasonal flavor called blueberry pie. Only comes in the summertime when blueberries are really in, in bloom. It's something that we do with kind of a vanilla base with a blueberry swirl and pie crust to give it that kind of extra crunch. Outside of that, I say my second favorite flavor is called s'mores, which is another seasonal flavor that's like a marshmallow base with fudge pieces and pie crust as well. All right. All right. And these flavors, are these new or did you keep old recipes? How's that? So most of the ice cream we make here is with original recipes since 1958. There's been a number of flavors that have been added new you know, probably in the last 20 or 30 years. Since we've taken the business, we've had added some new flavors. And what we've been looking to do is basically do collaborations with other iconic base businesses and create flavors that really resound with people that they want to see on social media and come in the store and try. The one we've had the most success with, there was a fall seasonal flavor, was something called Franklin Cider Mill Donut, where basically we took donuts from the Franklin Cider Mill. We did like a basically vanilla base with a lot of caramel within it. And it became very popular. The owner is a friend of ours. And I approached her and said, hey, I know Ray's been selling you ice cream for quite some time, but let's make a donut ice cream together. And I had a great idea of our wonderful cinnamon ice cream, putting the donuts in the cinnamon ice cream. And she's like, you know, my daughter, who's I think 14 or 15, has a great idea too. And I'm like, I'd love to hear it. And then her idea was the vanilla caramel. And I'm like, let's make both. Let's see what people like. And then we'll go from there. And we made both and we sampled it. And I would say 95% of the people loved her daughter's idea better than my idea. And I'm smart enough to realize that like, hey, we got to run with that and we'll shelf my idea. So that was a really big hit, did really well on social media. A lot of people came in the parlor. And now I've combined with another previous Cranbrook individual who owns Green Dot Stables and Johnny Noodle King and now a yellow light donut and fried chicken place. And we're now starting to make some donut ice creams for him. And so far, what we've tasted has been really excellent thinking coffee ice cream with an old-fashioned donut in it, as well as potentially cookies and cream with a cookies and cream donut in it. So I'm really excited about some of those flavors that we're going to launch here in the spring. Who is that grammar person? So there are actually two individuals, Jock and Nico, who were both graduated in 2000 from Cranbrook. So did you know them before? I knew them before. My brother, a lifer at Cranbrook, graduated in 2000, and both individuals were friends with my brother growing up. My brother now lives in New York City, but I frequent Jock's restaurants and have got to know Jock a little bit over the years and always said, hey, if you're ever going to do another restaurant, we should talk together. And then as soon as I kind of bought the ice cream place, I found out that Jock used to actually work here when he was 14 for a small period of time. Oh, wow. And thought his affinity for this place could lead us to do some things in the future together. Small world, <laughs> how that happens. You know, honestly, I, I really feel like in the Cranbrook kind of universe, the different web of tangles that it is, it really sometimes feels a lot bigger than the small school we went to. Hmm. And I think in the circles that I operated into, I'm always amazed at how many different Cranbrook people that either I knew from school that I'll see or interact and talk to, or people that I didn't even know from Cranbrook because maybe they were different years, younger or older, that how we'll reconnect and do different things. The house my wife and I bought during COVID, we bought from two different Cranbrook individuals who were both on their second marriage together, who built the house about 20 years ago, who were 20 years older than me at Cranbrook. But when they saw my wife and I looking at the house, they had some other offers on and they said, no, 
you're the couple we want to buy this house. We want you to buy this house. We want you to start your family in this house. And we hope that you send your kids to Cranbrook from this house. Oh, I love it. I love it. So are your kids going to Cranbrook? That's the plan. <laughs> so, you know, hopefully among Sterling and Ray's ice cream that, you know, I'll do well enough that, you know, I can afford to send my kids to Cranbrook because I think we both know that Cranbrook is not only an amazing education, but there's a certain price element to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one more question, Tidy Cranbrook. How are you aiming high? That's a great question. I think on a daily basis, I look at what I do from a work standpoint and try to achieve. Each day, I'm trying to be prosperous in one thing or the other. And I think that, you know, in being married now and coming home and talking to my wife about her day and talking my day, it's really like, what did I achieve today? What did I get done today? What am I proud of today? What are we proud of today? And I think that ever since July of 2022, a lot of what we're proud of are things we're doing together, where before it was things we're doing separate. And a lot of the things that we achieve each day, I don't even know are going to happen. And I think it's really just taking advantage of the opportunity that exists. And I think that the schooling I had from Cranbrook, the schooling I had from Wharton School of Business at Penn, the different companies I worked through throughout New York in my 20s and 30s, the experiences I've had in my family's business has really prepared me for each day moving forward where I don't think there's any problem that's big enough, any situation that's going to be too dangerous that I can properly navigate through with myself, my family, my wife, my colleagues, my mentors or consultants that I can't take a situation or problem and make the most of it and be successful with it. That's amazing. Well, with that, Jason, thanks so much for taking time for this conversation. Really appreciate it. And before we go, you want to give one last plug? Yes. So Ray's Ice Cream is in Royal Oak, Michigan at 4233 Coolidge Highway. We are open all year round starting at 11. And we close either at 9 o'clock in the winter or 11 o'clock in the summer. It's a great place to either bring a date, bring your family, or even come by yourself if you're feeling blue and want an ice cream to cheer you up. I hope that any Cranbrook grad who's listening to this podcast would stop by. And if you stop by, please ask for myself so I can say hello. And we can talk about some of the wonderful experiences that we've had at Cranbrook or outside of that. And I think this is a great place to kind of get an old feel slice of Americana. Because I feel like some of the things that are going on in this country in the last five to ten years and the changes that we've had, there isn't the same wonderful experiences there are at places. A lot of things become too cookie cutter and too plain. And coming here is like going back and slicing time where you're getting a quality product with a quality service that's going to put a smile on your face. All right. You hear it here. Come on to Royal Oak and visit. Thanks so much, Jason. Thank you very much for having me, Robert. I appreciate it. This has been Aim High, Kramer Kingswood's alumni podcast. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate if you could take a few seconds to subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a five-star review. This helps a lot in getting the word out and making the podcast easier to find.